0: I want to share with you a story that you won't get until the very end. So hold on. Uh, Tombstone, Arizona, in the 1870s, was one of the roughest, toughest, dirtiest towns of the whole Wild West. A new bartender had just come to town and started the Ace of Spade and started at the Ace of Spades Saloon, the rowdiest and most violent of them all. That saloon was known for its crooked tables card sheets, watered-down whiskey, bar fights, and even a gunfight or two, since it had opened its doors. The new barkeep had never seen anything like it in St. Louis, where he was from. And so in his first week, that bar was full of cowboys and gamblers and gunfighters and an outlaw or two. Suddenly, there was a hollering outside, and the Western Union telegraph operator ran through the swinging doors, telling everybody, Quiet down! Quiet down! I have a telegram to read! And here was the telegram. Big John escapes Yuma State Prison. Stop. Headed east. Stop. Stole horses and guns at Lordsburg. Stop. Next stop. Tombstone. Stop. When... The Western Union man, read Tombstone, every single person, man, woman, criminal, and dog, finished their drinks, stood up from the table, holstered their guns, ran out of those swinging doors, mounted their horses, and galloped out of town, leaving the bartender in that saloon all alone. He could not figure out what was going on, and who is this big John, and what should he do? So he stays behind, a little confused. Have you ever seen the movie Blazing Saddles? Do you remember the man, Mongo? Let me give... Yeah, there you go. Mongo was a sissy compared to Big John, all right? So with one hour, a guy like Mongo rides at full speed into the town on a huge Clydesdale stallion. He hauls in his reins, and that horse slides to a stop the last 20 feet on his behind dismounting is the dirtiest dumbest sweatiest smelliest ugliest largest man you'll ever see he had twin holsters carrying Colt 45s and in one hand he had a sawed-off double barrel shotgun and the other hand he had a Remington repeater as he walks through the swinging doors to the saloon he breaks one off its hinges his spurs jingle as he walks and the floorboards resonated each step that he takes And all his clothes are tattered and smelly and threadbare and holy. His boots smell like fresh horse manure. And he walks up to that bar. He looks at that city slicker bartender and he utters one word. Whiskey. The bartender takes a shot glass, fills it from a bottle and lays it on the bar. The man looks at the glass on the bar with disdain grabs the bottle out of the barkeep's hand, chugs it down in five gulps and slams it back on the bar. The bartender is shaking from head to toe, but he blurts out one short line, another, as he reaches behind the bar for a new bottle. And the man answers, no, can't stay. Big John's coming to town. (laughs) Here at Bergen Park Church, we are talking about Big John coming to town. He will be our new pastor. He'll be arriving this year. He may not be big. His name will probably not be John. But we want to already begin to pray for him, revere him, uh, be preparing Bergen Park Church for him. He's not to be feared, but to be followed. He's to be loved, and as I said, prayed for. He won't be carrying Colt 45s, I hope, (laughs) but the word of God. And your job is to welcome him, show ongoing support for him, and help him stay as long as you've helped me stay here 20 plus years. Nero's persecution when so many believers were afraid for their lives. Now, if you understand Rome, maybe you will also understand Washington, D.C. Rome loves power and glory. It is like Washington, D.C. It had monuments. Many important people would gravitate there. It had well-funded organizations to, 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 to help influence the government in certain ways. It had many... Military installations. It was also corrupt. Now, it's corrupt because you put power and people together. And whenever you put power and people together, I don't care where it is, corruption follows. It's our nature. So, the followers of Jesus Christ really don't fit in. They emphasize serving, not leading. They emphasize humility over authority. And so for the 20 or so years that the church has existed there in Rome. The people have turned to Jesus and they've begun, you might say, a a new lifestyle that doesn't really fit in Rome. In those 20 years, many of the uh, apostles have been martyred. And when you don't have first-hand eyewitnesses anymore, you go from Lord to legend to myth. And they stop asking about what did he do and what's the whole story. They just remember what they want to remember. Mark is that first gospel and it's designed to record the Jesus of history. But also the Jesus of divinity. Now, Caesars uh, of Jesus' day and before and after, they love to be called gods, small g's. Sometimes a son of God uh, that's because the title of God gave them you know strokes for their egos and, and helped them in their ongoing thirst for power, which they didn't want to share. The issue is is that Jesus is different. When we call him the Son of God, it's not the power that he's seeking. And so we want to recite in the Gospel of Mark. All the things that he said and all the things that he did to point how, to point out how this uh, Jew from an obscure town in an occupied country who never held a sword is the son of God. He's the God man that we should trust and the God man that we should worship. So for us to be engaged as authentic followers of Jesus, we need a steady diet. And if you're not doing this on your own, you need to. You need a steady diet. ...of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They take you back to Jesus. And I love this because I just got a catalog... ...from Christian Book Distributors... ...and it had 67 pages of Bibles that they offered... ...with about 50 per page. You do the math. There's 3,500 Bibles that you can buy online. 3,500 now... Some of them have leather, and some of them have deep blue covers, and some of them are thin line, and some of them are fat line, and, But you, you do all of this. And, and the issue is, there's Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, and John, and each one of them. And the chances are you probably own one or several. Uh, there is a person sitting in the audience this morning who has a bet with her brother. And the bet is, he who has the most Bibles when you die wins. Okay, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great line. He who uses the most, he who uses the Bible most wins. Okay, that's what it should be. Not who owns it. But I love that. I love that contest. Okay, so um, the if you have a steady diet of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your life, I give you this warning: it's hazardous to your health. It's hazardous to your self-centeredness. It's hazardous to your uh, self-reliance. It's hazardous to our natural narcissism. This gospel takes you out of the secular world of Rome or the United States of America and puts us in the heavenly one. This gospel moves us from singing the song, How Great I Am, to How Great Thou Art. And this gospel reveals what God is like when he becomes a man. And when we understand what God is like when he becomes a man, understand we aspire to be like him, to become like him. So the name of the series is Son of God. Just as the Jesus followers of Rome were losing sight of who they were following, so we will revisit the most accurate first-person accounts of what it meant to be original follower of Jesus. Jesus. And what it means to be at this great point of the kingdom of God before Jesus returns. To do that, we have to do a study that we called in, in seminary Christology. Now, I like two-syllable words. This one's four, so I just christ o Well, it doesn't work either. But you understand, we have to do Christology. That means that in those four syllables, we are doing a study of the Jesus of Nazareth and become familiar uh, and trusting in what his true identity is. Not myths, not legend, but what we had recorded from about uh, between 20 and 30 years after the death of Jesus. So that means that first person accounts are what we are reading. And the gospel begins, it just starts right off. You'll notice that in the Gospel of Mark, um, there's no, uh, you know, this is Jesus' family line. There's no uh, uh, record of his birth or his ancestors. It begins this way. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Is that a great line? Is that better than one stormy night? Isn't that a great line? Yes, And so as we continue to read this first thing, understand in this first verse, it gives the true identity of what we should consider this Jesus whom we are following. It is the study of Jesus of Nazareth and his true identity, and it begins with this. Jesus, his name means God is salvation. Over the history, God had provided many uh, uh, saviors, you might say, uh, for the Jews, He provided Moses to take them out of slavery in Egypt. He provided David to free the Jews and save the Jews from the Philistines. He provided uh, Nehemiah to save the Jews from uh, exile in Persia so they could return. Jesus is different. Jesus will save anyone, but only from their sins. His name, God is salvation, is his mission. To save God's people from their sins. Second title he has there is the Christ. That is a Greek term. It's taken from the Hebrew term Messiah. That we have. That's not how the the Jews say it, but we'll just say Messiah. And Messiah means anointed, an anointed one. And anointing was done to the mainly the kings of Israel and some of the prophets, where they began their reign by pouring olive oil over their head. But that was not the whole story. It 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 made for a great ceremony. But more than that, what would the prayer was is that God Himself would be empowering each king to lead his people with wisdom and skill, and to do that, that king would have to stay aligned with God. So that would it, that's what it means to be the Christ, and finally the Son of God, not in the same way that. Caesar was a son of God, or Herod was called a God by people who were trying to flatter him. The claim is that Jesus is God, and like no other God of, of, of the pantheon, of the Greeks, or the Romans, he's not Jupiter, he's not Zeus. He is the son of God, meaning the one and only, not one of many. He is divine by his nature. He exists before time, and he will exist for eternity. As the son of God, that means as a son, he has a father. He is his heavenly father whom he loves and he obeys all of his will. As the son of God, he is empowered by God's spirit from the moment of his baptism to do the mission of the Messiah. And so when we do Christology, understand that we have to put Jesus in a unique box. He's not one of several others. I've done world religions. I've studied them. Jesus is not one of several others by the claims made about him. More than that, by the things he said and the works that he did. So uh, he is in that unique category. Now, I want to say this. If you were here this morning and you in some ways are struggling with the identity of Jesus and what that should mean to you, you're probably not the only one here. But can I invite you to make this a journey where you go, hmm, never thought about that. Or it's been a long time since I thought about that. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be mad. Well, you can be mad. That I get. I I know some Christians who throw their Bibles across the room because they don't like what it says. But they don't deny it. In Mark, we will help you work through who really is Jesus. And if you want some one-on-one time and you think, you know, there's a guy I trust, give me a call. Now, I am biased. Over 50 years of following Jesus, I'm not going anywhere else. And I'm sold out to this truth. What we have is the supernatural Son of God penetrating right now a secular world. And Mark, we do Christology. But that means we want to know Jesus, not a, you know, an academic study. We want to know who this Jesus is. And if we know who he is, then we find it easier to follow him and easier to love him in our lives. So after Christology, some of you did science backgrounds in college and, and in high school. And maybe you studied anthropology. I I loved those who were taking anthropology because they told me about measuring skulls and hands and, and, you know, hand bones and all of that. And it was a wonderful thing. But most of anthropology is a study of what they called ancient man. And the the thing that I guess you need to know still confounds uh, ancient, the study of ancient man is they haven't found the first one. Every time they look, well, maybe it was over here, or maybe it was over there. It's, it's, it's not like a, a, a tree of mankind starting here, but it's like a bramble bush. You can find that in uh, uh, the scientific journals. Well, <clears throat> in anthropology, we're talking about it's not just truth that Jesus is the Son of God, but we understand that it affects humanity. Christology will shape our Anthropology. And understand that the mission of Jesus Christ was to what? Was to people. He was sent to people. People were the ones that were to listen. And more than that, when, when, when God wants Jesus to be recognized by people, He sends another person. He sends the messenger whose name is John. Now, Jesus calls John the greatest man, you know, ever because of the mission and his mission was to prepare man for the messiah particularly prepare the jews for the messiah so when it says <clears throat> it is written in the prophet uh, in isaiah the prophet i will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way this man this regular man a uh, 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 earthly cousin of jesus is the one who is sent and friends john is weird Have you known outrageous people who get a lot of attention lately? (laughs) John is weird. He's a perfect messenger. His diet, his clothes, everything about him. The way he rails on the religious people. My goodness, he's weird. So this is what's written. He is a messenger who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Now... Let me ask this, on resumes that you have, you know, uh, or or if you were doing an interview and you said, uh, for a new employee in the business world, and you were to say, tell me something interesting about you. Supposing someone said, well, I've sought forgiveness for my sins, and I'm tempting attempting to live a holy life for the glory of God. That's inappropriate, isn't it? If you got that resume and that was on there, you know, this is what's interesting about me, you drop it in the bucket. Why? We don't want a Bible basher in this business, right? Um, You see, it may not be important in the business world. But your relationship, your, your, your decisions, your, uh, you know, uh, uh, how you understand your anthropology is crucial for the in- eternal world. Is John the messenger that God sends? And sends to people, not to porpoises, not to killer whales, as smart as they may be, to people. And we'll talk about why in just a little bit. Then that first verse is actually from Micah, not from Isaiah. And the second verse in verse 3 does come uh, from Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The idea here is saying uh, Isaiah as he prophesied. The idea here in Mark is that John fulfills his prophecy by accomplishing the mission in the wilderness uh, of the Jordan River. And people from all over are leaving Jerusalem to the Jordan River, a good day's journey, for the purpose of being with John. And what does John talk about? He talks about their sins. He talks about changing their ways. Why did God's son... Why was he sent to people? Understand that as a part of your creation... You were not only told to take care of the earth and be fruitful and multiply. But as a part of your creation, God made you special in his image. And part of that is that you have a consciousness that doesn't just make you think about yourselves... But instead, you have a consciousness that makes you consider your ways. A consciousness that makes you develop a morality. A consciousness that helps you live your lives in in a way that you see how your life affects others. And we understand that the decisions we make in our lives may help some but really hurt others. That's why you're at the top of God's food chain. Yes, you manage the planet but you have this ability that in your existence you can agree with who god is and act upon it jesus does not want that we just agree that 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 there is a god that god has a son he doesn't want us to just uh you know agree that we uh, <clears throat> that humanity needs to change and that we can all become better people through self help jesus wants to get into our heads, is the phrase I hear today, it was used during the political campaign. Certain candidates got into people's heads. Jesus wants to get into our heads. and He wants to get into our hearts. And he wants us to wrestle with what it means for each of us to agree with his true identity. God's Son, God's Messiah, sent to us. And once we agree with that, he wants us to hop on into a relationship with him. You see, your, your uh, Christology, which is a part of theology, and your anthropology leads to your psychology. And when I use psychology, we get the word today, psychology, uh, from the Greek word psyche, And it doesn't just mean your mind. It talks about a soul. Uh, the staff at Bergen Park Church a couple of years ago was reading this book, Soul Keeping. And, uh, you know, it, throughout the first uh, several chapters, we kept asking, we use the word soul a lot. Do we really know what it is? Uh, John Ortberg had listened to several of the masters talking about what the, what the soul is like. And uh, he sort of put it this way. It's more than the mind, it's the body, it's the mind, which includes your emotions, but it's also, you might say, the decision maker, the will. You see, with Jesus, you have a will. With Jesus, the will says, what will I do with him? I don't question his historicity, I might question his divinity, but what will I do with him? And this is what I find. You mention Jesus and people get real excited one way or another. Some would say, oh, you know, he's irrelevant. But they're excited about it. They go, "Ah, don't talk to me about, you know. But just look at what happened to Jesus himself. Here he is. He's arrested. He's standing before the high priest. And he gets into their heads. The high priest asked him, are you the Christ? The son of the blessed one, when, the, when he said the blessed one, that basically means he wanted to say Yahweh, but a good high priest would never use the word Yahweh, it was too holy to be used, so he uses another term. But he is essentially saying, are you the Christ, the son of Yahweh, the son of the almighty God, the God who is? And Jesus said, Yahweh, I am. He just blurted it out. He says, yes, I am. And then, he says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, that got into their heads. That really got them upset. And whenever you find yourselves, both internally for yourselves, but also as you're dealing with others, and the name Jesus comes up, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whenever that comes up, you're going to have responses, responses like those, and you are getting into their heads. Now, the religious leaders, you know, their response is, we want to kill them. We don't know what their motives might have been. They were probably multifaceted, but their actions were clear. Kill this guy. That's getting into your head. So the high priest does ask that question. Jesus says, I am, meaning Yahweh. And today, you, you know, even in some of the conversations I've had with some of the religious leaders of Denver, I'm always asking that question. You know, I, I'm not sure you know, where you've ended up. These are religious leaders. Who is Jesus Christ? What claim does he have on your life? How, in your point of view, as a religious leader, do I get to heaven? And just... Those questions get into their heads. I go, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to emote a visceral response from you. But that's history. It happened then, it happens now. We have many people claiming to be Christians who are drifting. Jesus is not as important. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then you go into, you might say, this uh, the secular world. Uh, is anybody more secular than Pilate? Because once again, uh, the next very chapter of Mark, uh, there is Pilate, he's questioning Jesus. He has him on a skewer, you might say. He can do whatever he wants with him. And he looks at Jesus and he asks a secular question, a political question. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. And Jesus answers, yeah, it's it's as you say. He gets into his head. He gets into the idea of, uh, you know, I've never carried a sword, but politically, I am a threat to you. The lion and the lamb that we're singing about today, every knee will bow. That means you will see me as your leader, as your Lord. And it's the same way even in my community today. I would ask people, and they know I'm a minister, so they can blow me off, and that's all right. But I ask them, uh, just in your opinion, what comes to mind when I mention Jesus Christ? And everybody gets opinionated. Now, a few have said, well, he's irrelevant to me, but they do it shaking inside, (laughs) you know. You can see by the... Their face either goes white or red, one of the two, but it always causes something visceral to happen. Basically, when I ask a stupid, easy question like that, I'm playing the role of John the Baptizer. John was not a Baptist, get that straight. He was a baptizer, okay? You can smell it, you can spell it with a capital B as his title, but really it's what he did as a job. He was a baptizer. Okay, so John the baptizer prepared the way by talking to people about the one who was coming and talking to them about how they should repent from their sins and they would be baptized for the remission of their sins, but it only signified that they would be be starting a new life as best as they could. But in doing that, he was preparing them for the real guy who was coming, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So whenever I ask that question to anybody, I get, I get a visceral answer. The classic one was, oh, I believe everything in the Bible except that Jesus is God. I said, oh my gosh. How could you miss that? But I get it. He can't be God. Well, what, what else is he? You can take the Bible and throw it away. I mean, I get that. And and say, with nothing in there. Or you can just say, I'll cut out these parts that claim he is. But, you know, how, how do you miss that? And we come back very carefully. Maybe months later, one of my friends, it's been five years, okay? Five years. But I'm waiting. I'm ready. In your opinion. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, answers that question authoritatively from an eyewitness. And I want to say this. Like John, you take that role of preparing the way for people to encounter Jesus. Do you see yourself as like John? Like John, would you be willing to ask the deeper questions to others about life, death, and eternity? You don't have to take a philosophy class in, 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 in college, to get into these issues. We just find ourselves being so busy with our electronics, we were able to put them aside. Like John, are you willing to repair the way? Like John, would you be a voice calling into people's lives about the abundant life that you are living? Like John, would you let God use you so that Jesus could get into people's heads? Almighty God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's like a brick on my cranium. Wham! Something that a lot of humanity would like to dodge. But as we have this steady diet of the gospel of Mark. What we want to be aware of is if this is who, his true identity. God is salvation. The anointed one of God. And God's very son. Sent to be a man. He took on anthropology. So that we could better understand his Christology. Christology. If this is who he is and this is his mission then in a real way you have called me to a mission to prepare the way. Okay, church time to pray. In your hearts who would you like to spend an hour with one-on-one to prepare the way. Would you pray for that soul, not that mind, not that body, but for that soul right now? Just in your own heart, not out loud. Pray that you might see that person in the days ahead. Pray that somehow, way, there would be an opportunity brought by the Holy Spirit that you would take note of and follow through. And this is not head knowledge, Father. This is our mission. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and all God's people said, Amen.